This is Africa Digest. It's 1700 hours Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Spumelele Zundi. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa and you can find us on 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band if you're in Southern Africa. This hour, I'm with Joala Netulo, Wissani Matabula and Musibudi Makura. Your top stories. The UN mission in the DRC deploys some of the last electoral equipment for voter registration. Kenyan doctors to continue with their protracted industrial action despite the announcement that the medics have agreed to return to work. In economics, South Africa's Transport Minister Deboer Peters has appointed an interim board to oversee the passenger rail agency. And in sport, the Court of Arbitration for Sports Issues, a life ban against the alleged mastermind of doping in a Russian track and field. Jola Netulo has your news. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. South Africa and Nigeria have agreed to set up an early warning system to avoid violence and intimidation against foreign migrants recurring. International South Africa's International Relations Minister Maite Mashabani met with her Nigerian counterpart Geoffrey Onyema in Pretoria today. They agreed to strengthen bilateral relations between the two countries and to increase continental cooperation at the higher at rather of the highest increase continental cooperation of government. Relations have been strained between the two nations after the homes of a number of Nigerians were burned down in Rosettenville in eastern Johannesburg several weeks ago. Attacks on foreigners were also witnessed in the Pretoria township of Atridgeville. Onyema explains how the early warning system will work. The High Commission and a focal point in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs will be uh, organizing these meetings um, every uh, three months. It's not just a question of xenophobic attacks or whatever, Afrophobic attacks. There are just so many other issues that also could be brought uh, to this body. To have this forum that meets regularly and be in a position to get government to react quickly, uh, we believe will go a long way. Egypt's overthrown President Hosni Mubarak will be released from detention in a military hospital. Mubarak lost power in an uprising in 2011. Mubarak's lawyer Farid El-Deep said the former leader is likely to be discharged on Tuesday or Wednesday. The Kenyan government has reportedly struck a deal with one of two unions representing striking university lecturers. A second union will continue the strike, which has shut down classes in many public universities since January. Doctors in public hospitals have also been on strike since December. The strikes come amid fierce criticism of the government of President Uhuru Kenyatta, who is seeking re-election in August when the East African nation holds presidential and parliamentary elections. A scientist at South Africa's University of Limpopo, Mkoli Sindlovu, says the use of DDT to control malaria can have effects on the environment in humans, including inducing premature births in pregnant women. Ndlovu was speaking after the Limpopo province government confirmed the use of the chemical in some parts of the Waterberg, Bembe and Mopane districts where cases of malaria have been reported. Yes, there is a DDT. It's said to be almost specifically for a, for, a, for a person if the person is pregnant because it's, it's, it's normal to a person not to give birth. 
of other person it doesn't have there's too much side effects. Meanwhile, Limpopo House spokesperson Tabiso Defense says that con- they will continue using DDT in some in- instances because the World Health Organization did not ban its use. We use two chemicals, Kairos uh, Road and DDT. We only use 15% of DDT. This product has been utilized for more than 71 years. Uh, it's only banned for uh, it's only banned in agriculture, but with regard to issues around public health, we can be able to utilize. Remember, we only utilize it to spray for for malaria, nor any other uses. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.05 Central African time. Let's start in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where the UN mission in that country has deployed some of the last electoral equipment for voter registration to the DRC provinces to make sure everything is deployed before month end. Elections are expected to be held in the country this year, but things remain unclear as no date has been announced up to now. And a few days ago, the government expressed some doubts in terms of the electoral budget. Jean-Noël Bamou it's indeed the Congolese Minister of Budget who expressed some fears last month. Pierre Kangudia explained that it's difficult for this country's government to allocate an amount of 1.8 billion US dollars to the electoral process, otherwise there are more sectors to be left without money. Most of observers are now questioning the possibility for elections to be held this year and again. The ruling coalition and the opposition rally still have to solve some political differences when talks resume and will then have to give clear dates for the elections. The UN mission here, well known as MONUSCO, has deployed some of the last electoral equipment to these countries' provinces and especially to the remote zones as it brings a logistic support. When deploying materials by helicopter to Popokabaka in the Kuango province, the representative of the mission boss here, Viviane Van de Per, said everything needs to be deployed this month and is that the end of Monisco mandate. We are showing what we are doing together with the SENI to make sure that all the electoral materials are distributed on time by the end of March so that the electoral registration can be completed by the end of July so the country is in good shape to hold elections. This is why MONUSCO is here uh, to provide logistic support, especially in hard-to-reach locations. This is why we came here by helicopter today and sorry about all the dust that it put on you and on your equipment. So we have a lot of uh, extra equipment that we hired specifically to help the SENI to get ready uh, with the voter registration and all that equipment will be terminated by the end of March so we need to work fast and make sure everything is distributed and then the SENI will take over and uh, complete the voter registration. It's so important to vote. Go and register. Everybody who is eligible to register should register and you should all vote. It's your future and please register and go and, and vote and encourage your whole family to come. Everybody who is eligible, old enough and vote 
so that you choose which government you will get. Meanwhile, South Africa's embassy here in the Democratic Republic of Congo believes South Africans have more expertise in terms of electoral process and Congolese have a lot to learn from them. According to the embassy's political councillor, Palamesa Sietule, there is a strong partnership between the two countries and their electoral commissions are working closely to ensure elections are held here smoothly. We've had uh, elections uh, since 1994, uh, quite a number of elections, the national, the local government. So we've sort of developed expertise on how to conduct elections. And I think if we exchange this kind of knowledge that we've had since we had our first democratic elections in 1994. I think there is something that uh, Congolese can learn as well. The message uh, to Congolese uh, is that we, we do support uh, the process. Uh, we, we support the, the, the electoral process. Uh, we, we will continue uh, to work closely with the government and the Senate in particular to ensure that uh, the elections take place without any problems. We will continue to engage as we have done previously. Elections were previously scheduled here for November 27 last year. They were then pushed to April 28 next year by last October political agreement before being brought back to the end of this year by last December agreement without giving any clear date. Channel Africa Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Kenyan doctors are set to continue with their protracted industrial action despite their announcement by the government that the medics have agreed to return to work. Kenyan Ministry of Health posted a statement on its website stating that striking doctors heeded the government's directive to return to work in order to allow stalled negotiations to continue. However, Kenya's medical association has denied the government's claim, insisting that its members are still on strike. The doctors have downed tools last year, December, demanding 150 to 180% pay rise, but the government says it can only afford 40%. Channel Africa spoke to Dr. Stella Bosire from Kenya Medical Association about the crippling strike and whether there is hope of an agreement being reached. The official position is that the strike is still on. The Kenya Medical Association has no mandate to call off the strike. It is the union's position to call off the strike under the Secretary General. So as an association, we have no power to call off the strike. So the strike is still on. Our members are still on strike. Now the Ministry of Health posted a statement on its website over the weekend stating that doctors heeded the government's order to resume work uh, so that negotiations can continue. Are you saying that the government is not telling the truth, Dr. Bosire? Yes. I am saying that the government is lying. The government has been lying. In fact, part of the problems that you've had in this strike has been basically because of, 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 of propaganda. A lot of information that is on the public line is not what exactly is as it should be. That's why we still have this standoff. As of now, officially, the, 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 the case is in court, and as we speak, there's a judgment ongoing on the scene. These are, they, we, are, we are in high court, and there's a judgment which we expected the, 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 the high court to give because of certain recommendations and, and, and the, the, the the High Court had given, which have not come to pass. But the government has also given striking doctors an ultimatum to resume work or they will be fired. How do you respond to this ultimatum, Dr. Bosire? Unfortunately, the government has been firing doctors since the strike began. This is not the first time. It's not, it's not a new thing. One of the things that you have to understand about 
um, industrial strike is that they are also enacted in by, 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 by the law. So the doctors have a right to strike according to Article 45 of the Constitution of Kenya, uh, Article 45, Section 45 of the, the, the Labor Laws of Kenya, Labor Act, Labor Relations Act of Kenya, and, and Article 60. So at no particular point are the doctors um, illegally in, on strike. So it is actually their constitutional right to be able to go on an industrial, uh, industrial uh, dispute. In terms of the strike. Are you able to confirm an exact number of uh, the doctors who have been uh, dismissed thus far? Well, we, can, we have not caught any. You see, um, there is verbal dismissal and there is physical. We have not seen any letters written to our members yet. We do not. We have not seen any letters which have been written to our members. We are waiting to see those letters because, again, sacking the doctors is also another illegality that people have to take care of. So this is not a political issue that you're going to politicize sucking doctors from their, their, their point of uh, duty. So again, we have not seen any letters. President Uhuru Kenyatta and the governors have maintained that there will be no further negotiations and have requested the striking doctors to take the 40% pay increase that uh, the government is offering. Why are members of your association not accepting the 40% pay increase that uh, the government has put on the table, Dr. Bosire? The reason why the doctors have refused to agree on this request is because from the beginning, from the beginning when we started this, the industrial strike, there were supposed to the mediations that have been going ongoing from the Law Society of Kenya, from uh, the other well, well uh, the other interested parties, and including the clergy um, team from Kenya, have been to get a resolution to this matter. It is very unfortunate that when we have gotten a resolution, as of last week, we had come to already an agreement with the, with the government. Then we are very surprised as, as, as the doctor's body to hear that the government, the government under His Excellency the President has made that, those declarations together with the governors. So for us, our papers are ready. As we speak, we have no room for mediation because we have, we have been in discussion. They are, the issues have already been sorted, they are agreed on, and it's just a matter of the government coming together and signing these forms, and then people go to work. As a matter of fact, as of last week, the court gave directions that we sign first an agreement, number two, we sign the CBA, number three, we, we sign the return to work formula. Those three forms are ready to be signed by the government. So as we, uh, the, the, the doctors are wondering why all of a sudden the government is no longer interested in signing that. So as in terms of the union, the union is very clear and has already finished uh, the work that it has been given. The clergy are also clear. But they were just waiting for the government to come to the table. That's Dr. Stella Bosire, who's the executive director of the Kenya Medical Association, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbero Mujarere. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Culture and Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka 
in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1716 Central African Time right here in Africa Digest on Channel Africa. You can find us on Twitter, engage us over there. We are on Channel Africa 1. Now amid concerns, South African power utility ESCOM is failing to supply the required daily energy. The entity has pledged to keep Zimbabwe connected despite an unpaid debt. ESCOM is reported to be supplying Zimbabwe with 300 megawatts of power a day in a secretive deal entered in 2015 when the troubled nation was almost getting into total darkness. Zimbabwe's total daily power demand is nearly 2,200 megawatts, but if all power generators are in full swing, they produce 1,900 megawatts. However, due to obsolete plants in Kariba and Wange, Zimbabwe produces nearly 1,600 megawatts, resulting in Mozambique, South Africa, and Namibia. The deal between ESCOM and Zimbabwe ends soon, but authorities agreed on Monday to extend the power deal. Simon Machema is in Harare. Following Monday's closed-door meetings between South African power utility ESCOM and the Zimbabwean government, the troubled country is to continue receiving power despite an unpaid debt. The 2015 power deal between ESCOM and Zimbabwe saw decades of lead shedding coming to an end, but for a cost of more than 400 million rand debt unpaid. Ironically, ESCOM is failing to supply enough power for its South African clients, putting pressure on its power generation. During the Monday closed-door meetings with the South African ambassador to Zimbabwe, Mpakamambete and ESCOM officials, a new deal was revealed to keep Zimbabwe connected. The marriage between ESCOM and Zimbabwe is scheduled to end soon, but due to serious power shortages, Harare shall remain connected. Speaking to the media in the capital Monday, after the meeting, Zimbabwe's energy minister Samuel Undenge refused to reveal more but kept promising ESCOM remained on board. Of the Republic of South Africa, uh, Mr. Mbete, uh, we were discussing uh, uh, areas of mutual concern. As you know, uh, after having a deficit uh, in Zimbabwe caused by the low water levels at Kariba, we are importing from uh, South Africa uh, and uh, we want a situation whereby we will continue with no load shedding. Uh, I think you are aware that uh, we have not had load shedding since December 2015 uh, and uh, my mandate as Minister of Energy is to ensure that uh, there is steady supply of power in Zimbabwe uh, and uh, I don't want load shedding to return. Uh, and uh, we have been assured of uh, support from Excom, continued support, so that uh, we keep uh, the country uh, supplied uh, with power. It is believed Zimbabwe owes Excom more than 400 million rands, but the energy minister could not be swayed into divulging more. Uh, the utilities, uh, they are working out uh, the details. Yes, we discussed that you know, because uh, it's a commercial arrangement. Uh, we are going to pay for what we import. Well, there are various modalities of payment, uh, but uh, 
uh, as Zimbabwe, we are going to honor our payment arrangements. As I said, it is a commercial arrangement. As, as I said earlier on, we will uh, honor up uh, to what uh, will pay everything uh, which we are. And of course, uh, you are aware, that's why we encourage customers to pay up uh, the uh, ZESA bills, uh, because uh, we have to collect that money from the customers so that we pay uh, to ESCO. Zimbabwe is a member of the Southern African Power Pool and imports power from Mozambique, South Africa and Namibia, but the troubled nation is failing to pay. In South Africa, Zimbabwe, we both belong to the Southern African Power Pool, uh, which is uh, a trading platform. When one country runs short of power, uh, it gets it from another country which has excess power. And on the 1st of March, we held the Southern African Power Pool meeting in Bulawayo. Uh, just to exchange uh, information on electricity, we are addressing both the generation part into the trading side, including the transmission, because that power has to be evacuated and we should ensure that uh, if South Africa has excess power, uh, there is uh, enough transmission power lines to take it uh, from source to where it is required. South African Ambassador to Zimbabwe, Mbete, had this to say after the meeting. Well, this, this is a very important courtesy call to which uh, the minister invited me to, to attend because, as you know, energy collaboration is very important between two uh, neighboring countries. As you know, energy is an economic enabler, and this is the approach that we adopt as both countries. So we're hoping out of this there will be stronger and consolidated uh, bilateral energy col- collaboration, which will strengthen our economies on the not only on a short-term basis, but on a long-term basis. Meanwhile, Zimbabwe's power supply is poised to improve soon following the construction of the new Kariba South, which is expected to feed 150 megawatts into the national grid. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Around 2,000 men in South Africa's Gauteng, KwaZulu-Natal, and Mpumalanga and the Northwest Provinces have been medically circumcised over the past weekend. Among them was Gakheso Mutupi, a well-known South African actor and Brothers for Life ambassador who launched a nationwide campaign recently to mobilize men to circumcise regardless of their age or health status. More from Dr. Kumbulani Moyo, Medical Male Circumcision Manager at USAID-funded Voluntary Male Medical Circumcision Consortium. For a while now, um, the benefits of circumcision have been known. We know that it's hygienic, it's, uh, it reduces risk of STIs, it reduces risk of um, penile cancer, cervical cancer. But now we know also that it reduces the risk of getting HIV. And obviously, also meaning that we continue to use condom and, and be faithful uh, because it's not 100% effective. But with that in mind, we know that sometimes men with that knowledge are still not coming forth and, and circumcising. So, uh, Kahiso, uh, who is also a celebrity um, who, in, in, in the motivational speaker, he decided he was going to conquer all those fears and, and come forward and share. Um, his experience on why he hasn't circumcised until the age of 32. We know that men are afraid. Some are actually real fears, for example, like losing time at work and abstaining from sex for six weeks, um, as well as fear of pain 
which, which is actually, if, if men were to know, the pain is not that much. They feel the pinch every time when they get an anesthetic injection, but if the actual procedure is done painless under local anesthetic, which is numbing of the whole area. But, um, you know, so there are some other fears that are actually needs really. And so, Cassiso's um, circumcision experience was to actually show that you can actually conquer those fears because most of them are actually, um, you know, myths than reality. And so, and so as part of the campaign, he set out to mobilize 2,000 men. But we have actually received uh, a response that has given us more than 2,000 people coming up. And on the same day that he was circumcised, more than 500 people circumcised with him. Now, what is it about this drive, in your view, that you think worked? Because we know that um, uh, men have been encouraged in the past, you know, to come forward and get this uh, procedure done. But um, we know that due to um, sometimes traditional beliefs that men don't come forward for this kind of thing, and it's also taboo, particularly within African culture. So what do you think it is about this particular drive that particularly worked? I think it's the genuineness of Kahiso, his bravery really to come out of the box and say it's not taboo to talk. I'm going to talk about my own circumcision status. Yeah, you know what? I'm not circumcised. I'm going to get circumcised, and these are the reasons why I'm getting circumcised. And this is the, these are the reasons why I've not been circumcised. And every man now identifies with all those reasons, and they also now, if he can do it, I can do it also. And so that has inspired a lot of men to come. And also what it has inspired is some men who thought that at 30 or 32, you can't circumcise. But it's never too late to come forward uh, to circumcise because the benefits are there, they are real, and it helps even to talk about it. And we touched on an interesting topic when you speak about uh, traditional uh, traditional, um, situations. Uh, but, you know, in, in South Africa, for example, in other parts of Africa, circumcision has been done um, through time immemorial. But uh, what we are talking about now, because of the health benefits as well, we would like to integrate medical male circumcision into the traditional initiation process. And we've already started doing it in South Africa. And I'm sure in other African countries are doing the same. I know examples in Zimbabwe and in Kenya. But I think we are not taking away the traditional aspect of a person because it's what defines them, but we are integrating the medical male circumcision into it because it also has health benefits and it's part of a, a healthy lifestyle for all men. Now, will you be embarking on a similar drive um, anytime soon? Yes, we are urging men to really come forward as part of this campaign, but also, I mean, the program continues. And I'm urging I'm all South Africans because it is an opportunity that has been availed by, uh, you know, the government of South Africa with the help of PEPFA and USAID to make these services available for free so that they get the opportunity to circumcise while the time is there. Dr. Kumbulani Moyo is a medical circumcision manager at the USAID-funded Voluntary Male Medical Circumcision Consortium on the line with Zekona Miso. Your time is 1927 Central African time.
Thousands of delegates have descended on the Santon Convention Center in Johannesburg in South Africa to participate in the Global Entrepreneurship Congress being held this week. The Global Entrepreneurship Congress is the largest gathering of entrepreneurs, investors, researchers and policymakers and it is the first time that the event is being held on the African continent. The theme for this year's four-day event is Digital Disruption. Channel Africa spoke to Alessimo Mwanga from SEA Africa, a Johannesburg-based research and development firm and co-organizer of the event about what to expect this year's at this year's congress and the significance of the event being held in africa for the first time the reason for having you know the global entrepreneurship congress hosted in johannesburg south africa um, for the first time is um, to showcase entrepreneur uh, african entrepreneurial activities um, to global markets but also just to connect Um, entrepreneurs from global markets with Africans and also to encourage collaboration amongst Africans um, from different countries, particularly within Africans um, within the continent. What are the benefits that the city of Johannesburg uh, is going to derive as a result of hosting this event, Alismo? Well, I mean, you've got a lot of delegates coming from different countries. So you're looking at, um, obviously, tourists spending here in in Johannesburg particularly, but I mean, also potentially business partnerships with local and global partners and, you know, investors probably um, investing in, in, in businesses here that they see potential in. So there's a whole um, range of, of opportunities available for, um, you know, seeing a lot of inflow of, of international delegates within within the country. You, you always see... Um, you know, positive spillovers from from things like that. When you look at the World Economic Forum, similar to to this effect that uh, you might also experience with, with GEC as well. And surely you got an opportunity to engage with some of the small business owners who are attending this event. What are mm-hmm. they What are they telling you, mm-hmm. Alismo, in terms of uh, what they want to gain out of uh, this uh, congress? What are they saying to you? Well, a lot of them um, want to learn and, 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 and share knowledge and experiences with other delegates from different countries and see if they, they face similar problems and the solutions that they can get from, from those conversations. But also, um, most importantly, I think they also want to contribute to um, solutions to the challenges that, that, that are faced um, when it comes to policies, for example, situations such as access to markets, you know, um, financial barriers as well, alternative sources to finance. That is Alessimo Mwanga, Research and Development Executive at SEA Africa, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbero Mujarare. 17.30 Central African Time, here's Chola Natulu with your headlines. Thank you, Spimelele. Making headlines. South Africa and Nigeria have agreed to set up an early warning system to avoid violence and intimidation against foreign immigrants recurring. The Kenyan government has reportedly struck a deal with one of two unions representing striking university lecturers. And finally, Egypt's overthrown President Hosni Mubarak will be released from detention in a military hospital. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you very much, Olane.
A new report by the International Race Relations shows that given the economic contributions that immigrants are injecting in South Africa, there could be dire economic consequences should they hypothetically be deported back home. This comes after the recent scourge of xenophobic violence in the Gauteng province that left most foreigners displaced. The report also recommends that government address this phenomena through relevant migration policies. South Africa hosts more undocumented immigrants per capita than most wealthier nations such as UK and Germany. Making about 11% of the country's working population, immigrants contribute to the economy of the country. Author of the report, Rian Milan, speaks about what can be attributed to the economic successes of immigrants, especially those in business. The great complaint about all the foreigners in South Africa is that they steal our jobs. That is true to a certain extent, and I think in, in certain sectors. Agriculture would be one of them, where you could, often you're going to find foreigners um, harvesting crops. Another one would be the security industry in South Africa, which is now one of the largest employers, and the ranks in the security industry are very full of very, very lowly paid um, uh, security guys. So these guys are often doing jobs that South Africans don't want to do because it's, it's beneath our dignity. The pay, the pay is too low. The chief ingredient in, in foreign success, especially in sectors like, say, the, the, the Spaza sector in, in, in Soweto, is, is incredibly hard work and, and self-discipline. Somalian shop owners in Soweto will work um, 18 hours a day, initially for next, for next to no money at all. It makes it very difficult for South Africans to compete with them. Among other complaints of the South African small-scale business community during the xenophobic violence was that immigrants sell their products and services at extremely cheap rates, making it difficult for them to compete in the market. Manul Slam, a Bangladeshi national who owns a spaza shop in Auckland Park, says that is the business model they use and there's nothing that can be done. How can I say? We, all, we sell the things in according to the what you buy. And they, that's the other thing, other issue also. The, the prices of the food, you know, the increasing that way, you know, we can't even imagine. Okay, we, we agree, you know, some chocolates, they say sugar prices is high. Why sugar prices high every time? And for that reason, the other products, they also take advantage. Tea bags, you don't need sugar. But they also increase the price like three times more uh, price more than it was. So who who are going to blame it? So we can't do anything. Slam says although he has never been directly affected by the xenophobic violence, they live in fear and urges government to address it. So We're scared, de- definitely, definitely, you know, because maybe this place is not happening, but especially in rural area, villages, there's no one to control, they don't, they don't want to look after. So they can just do it easily if they want to. Like government must take uh, some steps, you know, to stop their things, you know, otherwise no one can stop it. If government want to, you know, they can like control it in, 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 in a week time. We spoke to some South Africans on the streets about their sentiments on the stance that foreigners are taking locals' jobs, and this is what they had to say. South Africans are like, they look for jobs in the wrong places, and then they say, oh no, we can't find jobs, blah, blah, blah. And they also, they're lazy to look for, like, good jobs. And when these foreigners work hard to get those jobs, it's like, oh, okay, so now they're there. I think we can, we can also do it just by, like, we need to just remove them and then we'll be there as well. It's like they are taking the jobs when they do, when like when they are not working hard for those jobs. Yeah. They are increasing in population, <laughs> and then like, <laughs> yeah, there is no space for like, amount jobs and then uh, apartments. Now we have like lots of street kids and and like people who don't have houses. Not that uh, they are taking over like every job or what, but we, like lots of South Africans will get like jobs and then like the economy will 
developed. The part of like foreigners contributing to our economy, like some of them, lots of them around like Bumachos somewhere, like they are not contributing because lots of them are selling drugs and then they are pimps for like uh, prostitutes and so forth. Foreigners can never take their jobs. You understand they are hard workers. You understand they will ride them. So the matters on the street. It's even rare that you find a foreigners working in a company in South Africa. So I don't know where is the jealousy coming with the Africans against foreigners. You understand what I mean? From this attack, I am not happy with the attack. You understand? About the prostitution, what they are doing with the young girls and whatever they are doing, they don't force the girls. You understand? Because the young girls also need their money. That is why they are doing their things. You understand? And nobody is forced to take drugs. The International Resolutions Report says South Africa should have long addressed the issue of xenophobic violence and migration through relevant policies. Malan elaborates. All along we should have had a fair and reasonable migration policy and like adequate enforcement of, of, of immigration laws and border controls. We haven't had those. So now we are sitting with a very large problem. Meanwhile, a high-level delegation from Nigeria is expected in South Africa this week to discuss diplomatic relations between the two countries following the recent xenophobic violence. The visit by Nigerian lawmakers is set to ascertain the true state of affairs regarding Nigerians and other foreign nationals living in the country. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Komoto Mupulane in Johannesburg. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1737 Central African Time. This coming Wednesday, the 15th of March, will be observed globally as the World Speech Day. The non-profit initiative was founded on the belief that speeches change the world. On the day, people across the world are set together and engage on meaningful subjects relevant whichever part of the world they find themselves in. On this part of the continent, South African Toastmaster champion and professional speaker Zoya Mabuto will be hosting a session of her own. She elaborates. I think one must just give a little bit of an overview Mm. for those who don't know what World Speech Day is about. It's a day dedicated to celebrating speeches and speech making. Mm. And this happens through a multitude of live speaking events happening across the globe, as you already mentioned. Mm -hmm. But further to that, I think what the event is about is harnessing the power of speeches as the best way, one, to exchange ideas. But two, to also really bring about the transformation that we're speaking about, transformation Mm. for the African continent, transformation in our country, transformation Mm. in our society, Mm. community, spaces, etc. So the reason I I was pulled to this, I mean, Mm. I I came across an advert on on Facebook Mm -hmm. and it was for World Speech Day in Lagos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my interest was immediately piqued. 
because as you will know mm. I'm I'm passionate about one the African continent and people of the African continent but further to that passionate about using my talent which mm-hmm. is speaking and connecting to people uh, to to bring about this meaningful transformation and change so it spoke to me mm. you know I really wanted to be part of something where we use speeches and speech making and sharing of these speeches as a means to bring about some kind of positive transformation social change etc mm. now for somebody who's listening they're thinking man this lady is very well spoken I did mention champion at some stage <laughs> as well is this for everyone Zoya tell us tell us about it because I mean if you're talking about transformation and some of the subjects that you've just mentioned it's subjects that we all you know conversant with and um, do you have to be a professional speaker to be part of World Speech Day tell us about that that's a very very important question mm. what's wonderful about World Speech Day is that it is open to everyone open to everyone to host an event open to people to participate as speakers Mm. so we're not speaking to professional speakers or even industry experts per Mm. se I think what what stands out for me about World Speaker Day or World Speech Day rather Mm. is that we're celebrating that everyone can have a voice and that that voice is important Mm. so we're speaking to the everyday man who has a story to tell Mm. Um, our view and our belief is that one voice can change everything Mm. so I mean One of the important things about this is that the organization's vision is about reaching out to unexpected voices. In fact, it's a hashtag, hashtag unexpected voices. And there it's really about just saying, we believe that change won't only come from who we expect the change to come from. Mm -hmm. That the people who can contribute to shaping tomorrow's societies aren't necessarily the people from the usual centers of learning or influence, Mm, mm. but rather from unusual sources, Mm. unexpected voices. And so it's a platform that's open to anybody who says, I'm passionate about something. I want to make a difference. I have thoughts for a better world, which incidentally is the topic. Mm. So the theme is thoughts for a better world. Come through and share what your thoughts are for a better country, for a better continent, Continent, for a better world. Mm. Now tell us a bit uh, more about, you know, people who are listening right now who might be thinking hey man I didn't know about this but I'd like to actually um, come and observe or engage or maybe have my own speech there um, at your session tell us about them about that what is it that can they can expect so if you'd like to participate I am going to share my details and mm-hmm. say please send me an email on mm-hmm. Zoya speaks at gmail.com mm-hmm. Zoya speaks at gmail.com send me an email let me know that you're keen to participate but if you want to come through and watch we are hosting the event at the Northcott Recreation Center Center. Mm-hmm. This is in four ways. Mm-hmm. So if you Google this, you should be able to find us. And the time is 12 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So we mm-hmm. start 12 midday and we should go on with a round of speeches, sort of just mm-hmm. going through multitude of interesting speeches. You can expect to see a lineup that's extremely engaging and interesting. Mm-hmm. So we've got some social entrepreneurs. We've got poets coming through, nice. people who use art for healing. An example mm-hmm. is a lady named Vangi Lekanjo. Mm-hmm. Vangi. Mm-hmm. She's coming through to join the platform. We've got uh, representatives from an organization called The Current State of Poetry, mm-hmm. you know, who are doing some phenomenal work around using poetry to get young guys off of the streets. Yeah. And then there'll be Toastmasters as well. So a couple of guys representing the Toastmasters organization. Right. We both know what that organization yeah. is about. But for the listener, Toastmasters being the organization that's committed to helping those who say, I want to 
become a better speaker and a leader in my organization. So we've got representatives from an array of different, of different uh, backgrounds and professions. Um, those interested in, in African development mm. from an economic perspective, businessmen and women, young leaders as well, you mm. know, making impact in their communities. Mm. So it should be very exciting. So for people who are listening right now who would love to get in touch with you and some of the things that you are doing, how do they get a hold of that? Great. So Zoya speaks of the email address, mm-hmm. you know, send me an email. But beyond that, if you're interested to find out a little bit more, there is a Facebook page that we've created, mm-hmm. World Speech Day Johannesburg, and that should provide all of the information that you need. One more thing is to say <laughs> that, you know, what's, what's fascinating about this is that there's been a great take-up from all over Africa. Mm-hmm. So we have over 20 events being hosted by African nations, and that for me is great. exciting. Mm-hmm. Only two in our country, but I'm thinking that we, we can definitely grow that over the years to a World Speech Day uh, event in all of the provinces. That is Zoya Mabuto, who is the South African Toastmasters a champion and professional speaker talking to Zekonami. So, time for your economic news. Here's Wissani Matebula. Thanks, Pumilele. In your economics news, now amid concerns, South African power utility ESCOM is failing to supply the required daily energy the entity has pledged to keep Zimbabwe connected despite an unpaid debt. ESCOM is reported to be supplying Zimbabwe with 300 megawatts of power a day in a secretive deal entered in 2015 when the troubled nation was almost getting into total darkness. Zimbabwe's total daily power demand is nearly 2,200 megawatts. The deal between ESCOM and Zimbabwe ends soon, but authorities have agreed on Monday to extend the power deal. Zimbabwe's Energy Minister Samuel Undenge. The Republic of South Africa, uh, Mr. Mbete, uh, we were discussing uh, uh, areas of mutual concern. As you know, uh, after having a deficit uh, in Zimbabwe caused by the low water levels at Kariba, we are importing from uh, South Africa uh, and uh, we want a situation whereby we will continue with no load shedding. Uh, I think you are aware that uh, we have not had load shedding since December 2015 uh, and uh, my mandate as Minister of Energy is to ensure that uh, there is steady supply of power in Zimbabwe uh, and uh, I don't want load shedding to return. Uh, and uh, we have been assured of uh, support from Excom, continued support, so that uh, we keep uh, the country uh, supplied uh, with power. uh, Kenya Central Bank will uh, process a request for licenses by two new banks ending a moratorium it put in place in 2015 on licensing new commercial banks. The bank says... DIB Bank Kenya and Mayfair Bank Kenya had received approval in principle before the 2015 suspension of licensing. DIB Bank Kenya is wholly owned by the Dubai Islamic Bank PJSC, which operates according to Islamic principles. Mayfair Bank is owned by Kenyan investors. Mining company Anglo-American is set to cap executive bonuses following a shareholder revolt last year over high payouts, even when the company's share price had crashed. In its annual report, Anglo-American said it will reduce maximum annual bonuses 
for Chief Executive Mark Kutifani to 300% from 350% of basic salary, bringing it in line with other executive directors. For Kutifani, the limit is 16 million US dollars. The company has also said uh, that uh, from this year, the value of long-term incentive plans will be kept at twice the face value of the award at the time of vesting. And thousands of delegates will converge this week in Johannesburg for the Global Entrepreneurship Congress. The Congress is the largest gathering of entrepreneurs, investors, researchers and policymakers. And it's the first time that the event is being held on the African continent. Event organizer Alessimo Mwanga. Well, a lot of them um, want to learn and, 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 and share knowledge and experience with, with other delegates from different countries and see if they, they face similar problems and the solutions that they can get from, from those conversations. But also, um, most importantly, I think they also want to contribute to um, solutions to the challenges that, that, that are faced um, when it comes to policies, for example, situations such as access to markets you know, um, financial barriers as well, alternative sources to finances um, and things like that. So. I think entrepreneurs also have a role to play in this whole Congress and in being part of the conversation, so it's not just a situation where people are listening. Tanzania has awarded a coal mining license to the local unit of Nigeria's Dangote Cement as part of plans to lower the company's production costs and ease disruptions caused by energy shortages. The cement maker suspended output in December, citing technical problems and high production costs. The cement factory in the southeastern Tanzanian town of Mdwara, with an annual capacity of 3 million tons, runs on expensive diesel generators and has sought government support to reduce costs. Now, a look at your financial indicators. The dollar is at 13.15 South African rents, 10.29 Botswana Pula and 9.52 Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.82 to the British pound and 0.93 against the euro. The commodities market a gold $1,206. Platinum, $940 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil, $51.02 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. It's time for your sports news. Good evening, sports fans. I am Musibu Dimakura with the latest sports news at the Sawam. The Court of Arbitration for Sport has issued a live ban against Dr. Sergi Pojugalov, the alleged mastermind of doping in Russian track and field. Pojugalov was found guilty of violating several articles of IAAF anti-doping regulations, including the possession and dissemination of prohibited substances. The World Anti-Doping Agency recommended in a 2015 report that Portugalov take no part in any state sports program after he was found guilty to have supplied athletes with banned performance-enhancing drugs. CAS did not immediately confirm the ban. WADA said Portugalov, who had served as the head of Russian Athletics Federation's medical commission, was very active in the conspiracy to cover up athletes' positive tests in exchange for a percentage of their winnings. The agency said that Portugalov administered the 
doping programs and even injected athletes himself. Russia has since been barred from international track and field competition, including the Rio Olympic Games, since November 2015, following a damning report presenting evidence of state-sponsored doping in the sport. On rugby news, Kenya has dropped a place to 12th position in the IRB World Sevens Series after a dismal showing at the Vancouver League of the competition. Kenya could only beat Menos Chile in their Group A matches after losing to England and South Africa in the opening two ties of their pool. Channel Africa's Francis Motegi reports. Kenya began by falling 14-28 to England in the first match before losing 5-15 in an All-African Derby against series leader South Africa. The last match saw Kenya come from 7 down to 19 at halftime to narrowly win 26-19 against Chile. The results forced them out of the competition's main cup for the obtained time to play in the Challenge Cup where they could only go so far as semi-finals and fall to Samoa. To reach the semis, Kenya had overcome Scotland 1917 in the last eight before found it tough against Samoa to succumb 7 for 26 and Ghana a mere five points. Now to football news. The host Zambia were crowned winners of this year's Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations tournament following a 2-0 victory over Senegal in Sunday's final. In front of a capacity home crowd, the young Shepolopolo did not disappoint, taking the lead after 16 minutes through Pastin Daka, who slotted home from close range. Ten minutes before the break, they then doubled the lead through Edward Chifula. Our Zambian-based correspondent Namuchana Lekezo says people back home are still celebrating. The mood is that of celebrations. There were a lot of celebrations last night here in Lusaka. I will tell you, there were a lot of fireworks around. Yeah, people were celebrating and uh, I saw thousands of cars honking around the city of Lusaka. Everybody was just in that celebratory mood. Now uh, everybody saying they believe in the team. Uh, everybody saying this is a future team. On to Athletics News, International Athletics Federation is impressed with Uganda's preparations ahead of the 41st edition of the World Cross-Country Championship set to take place later this month in the country's capital, Kampala. The visiting IAAF World Cross-Country Championship ambassador, Paul Target, says the host's country has met the requirements needed to host the world event. Participants from over 100 countries across the world are expected to start jetting into the East African nation from the 23rd of March. Target, who won the World Cross-Country Championship five times, believes hosting the World Cross-Country Championship in Africa for a fourth time is a feat for the entire continent. This event is a world event and uh, it is not every day that we can able to, to have this event closer to us. We have, and we are all happy that uh, the Ugandan uh, people, uh, they were able to beat and succeed to make sure that this event uh, became a reality. And all of us that we are in the region, we know that this is one of the global events that is happening within uh, the vicinity. And uh, especially from the Kenyan side, there will be thousands and thousands of Kenyans who will be coming to cheer up uh, the the spectators and the chair of the Kenyan team and uh, because they know the importance of the same. 
And finally, top wheelchair tennis players from around the world are expected to start jetting into South Africa next month for the upcoming SA Open tournament. The SA Open is the second Super Series tournament of the year, which gets underway on the 10th of April and concludes on the 14th of April at the Ellis Park Tennis Stadium in Johannesburg. Khotso Mashekho, wheelchair tennis South Africa high-performance coach, says South Africa's top players have been, um, have been preparing well for the upcoming tournament. Oh, well, the guys, you know, uh, obviously I hope that they win the tournament. Uh, that, will be, that will be the idea. Uh, but, you know, yeah, uh, the guys have the qualities, no doubt. Everybody knows that they're quality players. And, yeah, at the moment they, they're doing pretty well. Um, you know, the, the look at Evans and KG just returned from Europe. Uh, I think they had a pretty decent try in Europe. For the Zaya Sports News at the Sawa, stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-five Central African time. A recapping our top stories: the UN mission in the DRC deploys some of the last electoral equipment for voter registration. Kenyan doctors to continue with their protracted industrial action despite the announcement that the medics have agreed to return to work. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spomalele Zondi, producer Luanda Mao, my technical producer Catherine Malika, and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for listening. Send us emails. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. Info at channelafrica.co.za. And SMS plus 27796 308 Channel Africa One on Twitter. We leave you with Utando Paischava. Mama